Having said that, let me uh, invite you to join in with me as we turn to God's Word. I want us to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. So let me invite you to go ahead, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me there. These will also be on the screen. But would you stand with me one more time in deference to God's Word as we receive it together? I'm going to begin here with verse 1, Luke 19, verse 1. And actually, I think I'll just go ahead and read down through verse 10. Familiar story, one that if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, you've heard this story many times. May God give us a fresh eye, fresh ear to hear this in a new way today. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. May God add his blessing to that word. Please, you can be seated. We have been looking at seven words that can change your life. And uh, we started this series during Lent with the word no, which is not always a fun word, but I tried to describe the fact that Jesus is a master of no. When it came to temptation, he knew how to say the word no. And then we spent some time considering the word yes. And we said that, that we were reminded of the truth that all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Then uh, our response to that is a yes of our own. Amen. Whoopee even. You know, we remember those kinds of things. But last Sunday, we talked about the word follow. And the reality is that Jesus calls us all to follow him. And what he means by that is that we take up our cross and we give our lives away. We surrender completely to God. Well, this morning, I want to add to that, and I want to give you one other word, and it's related to this word, follow. As we determine, as Christians, to faithfully follow Jesus, I think in our age, we must also spend some time with this word, and the word is enough, enough. Now, let me ask you, have you, have you ever had enough a few years ago, uh, I took our family to Disney World. Now, we had never been there before. We had never had enough money to get there, but finally we'd saved up enough money and we felt obligated. This is what families are supposed to do. But the reality is, by the time we got to Disney World and could afford the trip, the kids were out of that prime age when they really could appreciate the Disney experience, if you know what I mean. So you see this picture, and this is early in the day, and it went downhill from there. I'm gonna tell you that. <laughs> 
It was July. It's terribly hot and humid. It's 98 degrees in the shade. We get there early, early enough to stand in line, and we stand in line, and we stand in line. And by about 1.30 in the afternoon, the kids were like, we've had enough. Dad, can, can we go to the fun spot? Now, the fun spot is another amusement park in Orlando that's smaller, but it had a roller coaster that actually looked good enough for them. So that's where they were wanting to go. Here we are at Disney, and that's where they want to go. I'm like, no, <laughs> you haven't had enough. One of them starts weeping, can we just go home? We can't go home, we are having fun. We are making memories right here. We haven't been to It's a Small World. We haven't been to Space Mountain yet. I don't care about Space Mountain. I don't care. We can't go home, you guys, because I spent $125 per ticket, never mind the cost of this trip, to come to the happiest place on earth. <laughs> and you are gonna get your $125 worth of happiness, so you give me happy right now, or I'm gonna give you something to be happy about. <laughs> That's how the conversation went. Frustrating, I'm telling you. And this is what we think, this is what we come to believe. We go through life thinking that happiness can be purchased. Really smart people Really smart people entice you to believe this all the time. You need bigger and better and more and newer and never ever think enough. Enough. I have enough. But listen, if we are truly gonna follow God, I suspect that God is going to want you to learn to say, you know what? I have enough. And I could be generous now. Now, as you consider this passage, we already know about Zacchaeus. We, we know quite a bit about him in actuality. We know that Zacchaeus, he understood money. He understands. He's got money. He is good at money. He is motivated by money. He has money. But we also know that he is a tax collector, and not only just a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector, so he's got people under him. He is running the operation. So Zacchaeus has decided that, that he loves money so much it is worth colluding with the Romans, the occupiers of Israel at that time, to make money. Now, the, the, the truth is, by most people's standards, Zacchaeus is a traitor. He is, he is colluded with the enemy. Rome, you see, needed a few folks to collect taxes, and they needed people who knew about money, who knew the value of things, they, that knew what wealth was. And so tax collector had to be somebody who could know the community well enough, know finances well enough, that he could say, well, you know, this guy in Israel, well, he has 50 head of cattle, he's got 50 head of sheep, he's got 100 acres of, of land. Man, you can get some money from this guy. And so people hated tax collectors. They hated them because they collect taxes. They hated them because they often cheated as a result. And, of course, they hated them 
because they saw tax collectors as working with the enemy. Now, folks, if, if you were a rich Israelite, this is what would often happen. You might go to a tax collector like Zacchaeus, and you would say, man, don't tell Rome about all my money. Let, let's just not tell everything. Well, uh, Zacchaeus might say, sure, I'll, I'll forget to add that 50 head of cattle. I, won't, I will make a mistake in, in recording how many acres you own, but it's going to cost you something. And so Zacchaeus had this thing going. He was getting paid by Rome pretty well. And then he's got some other income coming on the other side of things from other people. So Zacchaeus is in the middle here. He didn't make friends. He was rich. So he has traded that. He's traded relationship and community for wealth. And nobody likes Zacchaeus. But he thinks he's okay with that, doesn't he? He thinks, well, you know, I got this really nice house and that, that pool in the backyard, and he's got all this stuff. And yet all of that stuff, now this is the key here, all of that stuff, at some point, it doesn't seem like enough. There's something empty inside of him. There's something that's gnawing at him. He's hungry for something more. And one day he hears about this man, this 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 traveling rabbi who seems to have this extraordinary relationship with God. And, and this Jesus, he's attracting crowds, he's healing diseases, he's changing lives, and Zacchaeus is curious. Now, here you have a, a tax collector. By no measure would you ever expect a tax collector to show any interest in a spiritual teacher, but that's what we have here. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to know more about Jesus. It's, it's really kind of a strange thing. In verse 3, we read this. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Maybe you're here today. You, you just want to see who Jesus is. But because he was short, I love that, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here. You'll notice in this story, there are a lot of interesting details. It's, it's not just a tree. It's a sycamore fig tree. Scholars tell us that they think that, that indicates that Zacchaeus told this story directly to Luke. There are too many details here and so many specific details that Luke must have heard this firsthand. And by the way, this is the only gospel where this story is included and thus the details. And so in the ancient world, for instance, rich, powerful guys, they never ran. That wasn't dignified. They wore robes. You can't run well in a robe, but we see here that Zacchaeus runs. So we know there is something in him that really just wants to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus is smart. He, he gets ahead of the crowd now, I would also suggest that he, the reason he's not too interested in getting in the crowd is, yes, because he's short. We'll talk about that. But it's also because it's dangerous to be in a crowd. You know, interesting things happen to tax collectors when you get in a crowd. So he's, he's, not, he's avoiding the crowd altogether. 
And this is interesting to me, even though in the Middle East, a rich, powerful person would never climb a tree, even in our day, that doesn't happen. Rich, powerful people get whatever seats they want. But Zacchaeus does that because he really wants to see Jesus. Now, there's another interesting detail, and it's this one. We're told that Zacchaeus is short. You remember that song, don't you? How many of you grew up with it? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Yeah, very good, very good. We won't sing the whole song. I probably don't even remember the whole song, but nobody likes to be called a wee little man. And Zacchaeus didn't like that either. And maybe that's why he likes money so much. Money makes him feel bigger. Money makes him feel like somebody. But even then, it's kind of wearing off. He's up in a tree, hiding from the crowd. And this is what is amazing to me. It is Jesus who sees him. Look, you may be here today thinking that you're kind of hiding in the crowd, you're anonymous, just a little interested maybe in what happens here, but let me tell you something. Jesus sees you. Verse 5 says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, Zacchaeus is surprised. He's not counting on this. Everybody else was like, hey, look at that guy in the tree. I, I think that's the tax collector. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And I think and Zacchaeus is like, Jesus, go away, go away. He wasn't ready for this. But I must stay at your house today. And everybody in this scenario is confused. Of all the rabbis and all the religious people in Jericho, why is Jesus going to stay with this corrupt bureaucrat? You mean, Jesus, you're going to stay at, at the home of this tax collector? This is really going to harm your reputation, Jesus. Zacchaeus knows that. The people know that. And notice that Jesus just doesn't care. And boy, is that good news this morning. Listen, whatever your financial story, and I've heard some of them, maybe you're a train wreck. Maybe you've been through bankruptcy. Maybe you're going through bankruptcy. Maybe you've maxed out your credit cards. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you've been dishonest. Maybe you've been greedy. Maybe you have cheated. Maybe you are just rich. None of that is a barrier to Jesus coming to your house today. He loves bringing grace to anybody who will let him in. Are you willing to let him in? So Zacchaeus, he comes down and he, I think he brushes himself up, he composes himself a bit, and he realizes that something special is happening here. And the Bible says he welcomes Jesus gladly. Now the story goes on. All the people began, who saw this, began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest 
of a sinner. Now, I find it interesting here. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name, and he knows his sin. The people know Zacchaeus by name, but they call him by his sin. I think that's fascinating to me. Jesus knows who we are, and he calls us by name. Now, quite often in the Bible, Jesus does stuff that's going to tick off one group or another. From time to time, we'll read that the Philistines or the, uh, the uh, uh, Sadducees will mutter, or, or the Pharisees will mutter. But interestingly enough, this is the only time in the New Testament when it says all the people mutter. They're upset with Jesus. They don't understand it. Why? Because everybody hates tax collectors. Now, we don't know the details of the conversation that took place in that dinner. But something obviously happens there. And suddenly, Zacchaeus, I think he's looking at the house that he has been so very proud of. But suddenly, it looks different to him. It's starting to look more like a, a prison than a palace. I, I wonder if Jesus didn't say something like this to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you've been a money guy. You, you know money. You've got money. You love money. But Zacchaeus, is it really getting you where you want to go? Think about it, Zacchaeus, there, there was a time when you had to walk everywhere you needed to go, but you became a tax collector, and let's face it, you were good at it. Good or bad, you were good at it. And one day you realize, you know what, I can buy a donkey now. I don't have to walk everywhere. And so you got a donkey, but the thrill wore off, and you thought, hey, now I could upgrade to a camel. And so, you know, the camel in the ancient world would have been like a Hummer, an all-terrain vehicle, you know, you really make a statement with that, and that would be a camel then. But, but of course, what happens? The camel, there's the one-hump variety, and then you upgrade to the two-hump camel, and it just goes on from there. But again and again, what happens is, is that new camel smell wears off, and, and, and so you, you realize it's just just doesn't do and you've got this you've got this fleet of camels your clothes aren't shabby Zacchaeus you got robes and man you've got miles of robes in your closet good for you you don't just have one house you got you got that property on the Jordan River and that really sweet place on the Sea of Galilee in in other words Zacchaeus, think about this. You can be satisfied with your money, but are you really satisfied in your money? I'm going to tell you, Zacchaeus, that satisfaction only comes from God. Zacchaeus, you could find your joy and contentment and relationship and community if you surrender everything to me. Zacchaeus, would you follow me? Follow me and be a generous person and use those resources to help people, to, to feed people, to bless people through ministry and grace and kingdom work. 
Zacchaeus, people could bless you instead of curse you. Zacchaeus, have you had enough? Something about that conversation, just being with Jesus, woke something up in Zacchaeus. And I can almost see it in my mind as his heart begins to pound, as he thinks about his response, he catches a new vision for himself. And I love this, this wee little man. The scripture says it this way, but Zacchaeus stood up. Do you see the picture? This wee little man stands up. He's standing a little taller. He sees himself differently. He's seeing himself in a new way as his value is not about what he has, but now on what he can give. And so Zacchaeus stands up and says, Look, Lord, I love that phrase. Lord, you are Lord Here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, of course he's cheated a whole lot of people, I will pay back four times the amount. This is stunning. Imagine Mrs. Zacchaeus and what she's thinking. (laughs) Honey, shouldn't we talk about this? The kids are wondering, Does this mean I don't get a camel too? (laughs) What about the trust fund? And yet Zacchaeus is so captivated by by his conversation, his new relationship with Jesus, that he's captivated by the possibility of a new way of life with Jesus. And that means to do something with his stuff. And he begins to recalculate everything in light of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is Lord. Lord, I choose to follow you. I choose to listen to you. And listen to this. Zacchaeus comes to this conclusion. He is enough. He is enough for me. Now, this is what is happening. Zacchaeus says, here's what I have. It's a lot. But enough is less than what I have. Here's, a, here's, here's what I have. Enough is less than what I have. So here's what I'm going to do. The difference between what would be enough for me and what I have altogether is what I'm going to consider to be my generosity zone. I've been living in the discontentment zone. I'm tired of that. I want to live in the new zone where I know what is enough for me, and I'm going to put a stake in the ground, and I think, this is Zacchaeus, I can live with 50% of what I have and give the rest away. Because what I have with God is more than 100% of what I have without him. Because I've discovered something. Jesus is more than enough. Now notice this. This is so fun. Jesus stands up and he doesn't say, wow, this was a really great meal. My compliments to the chef. No. He looks at Zacchaeus and I suspect there were tears in his eyes as he realizes the transformation that is happening in this man who somehow stands a bit taller right now. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, this wee little man, this tax collector is a son of Abraham. 
Now, friends, those words are not accidental, are they? If you were an Israelite, the, the, the greatest phrase that could be used to describe you <laughs> would be that you are a daughter of Sarah or a son of Abraham. Because Abraham and Sarah were all about where Israel started. Jesus is saying, you are a part of the family. You're a part of the kingdom. You're a part of the history of what God wants to do in this world. Zacchaeus, you were a corrupt tax collector who colluded with Rome. You were an enemy of God. You were an enemy of God's people. Nobody has called him a son of Abraham for a very long time. They called him another son of something, and we won't go there but you are a son of Abraham. And Jesus says salvation has come to this house. Isn't that wonderful? Now listen, Jesus is not saying that Zacchaeus has bought his way into heaven. Don't take that away here. You, you, you can't do that. You will not earn your way into heaven. You can't give enough to get into heaven. No, this is a gift. It is by grace. Jesus stopped by that tree that day called Zacchaeus by name, not because of anything Zacchaeus had done, but just because Jesus is always wanting to bring salvation to your house. That's who Jesus is. But, but notice what this looks like, and this is where we wrestle. This is where we have to spend some time here. It's not just if you believe the right things, you get to go to heaven. Listen, my friends, as long as we have breath, as long as we can follow him, this is what it's going to begin to look like. People think in this world, you know, when it comes to money, it's really just logic and simple math. People think when it comes to money, this is what the world says, it is a matter of fact that if you have 100%, and you keep 100%, then you have 100%. However, if something comes along and part of that percentage goes away from me, then I am lessened. I have lost something. But do you know the Bible views it differently? The Bible views it as a matter of faith. This is a matter of faith. You, you have to decide if you believe this or not. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will tell you what the Bible says. The prophet Isaiah, for instance, wrote these words. He said, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the new day. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Now you have to decide, do I believe God or not? Do, do you see what that passage is talking about? It, it says, if you spend yourself, if you give things away to the hungry, to those who are oppressed, if you invest in, in my kingdom in, in, in a way, I'm going to build you up. Now, God doesn't say, and boy, we hear this preaching all the time. You give this much, God will give you that much in terms of finances. That's not what this passage says. It talks about how I will build you up. I will change your life. I will give you more of what you need. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think that's interesting. Give, and it will be given to you. You will have more. But listen, some of us don't need any more money. What we need is more peace. More joy. More love. More life. More purpose. And every one of us, if we decide to follow Jesus, we have to decide, do I believe him or not? This is where following gets very real to us. So the Bible says there is this new kind of math. This is what Zacchaeus learned. He said, I believe that when I have 50% of what I have with God, that is more than 100% without him. That's what I have. And if I don't have him, I don't got anything. There's a book I've written called Charity, a very interesting, very small book, but its thesis is this, simply. Generosity is not just a good deed. In other words, it's not there just to make you feel good or a little better or a little less guilty. Generosity is not just a good deed, but a declaration of belief about the world and the God who created it. You see, when we give, when we give in a way that is extravagant and real and beneficial, we believe, we're saying we believe, that this world is more than just material, it's also spiritual. When we really get serious about giving and generosity, we understand God and his character. God created the world in a burst of generosity. You see, he didn't have to create the world. He didn't have to create the universe. He didn't have to, to give you life. He didn't have to give you eternal life through Jesus Christ. But this is what we know about God. For God so loved the world, he gave. It's in his nature, because he's a loving God, he, he gives. And listen, when you start following him, when you start taking those steps of generosity, when you care about other spiritual walk, when you care about the kingdom and his church, you are truly learning to follow him. Are you with me? I know, Pastor, I'd rather go home right now. Thank you. Are you with me? Okay, okay. Listen, I realize this. If your philosophy is it's all about more, more money, more stuff, more square footage, you're probably headed down a road of disappointment, folly. And, and by the way, you don't even need to have the Bible to believe that because this is just by observ observation. You look around and you see this as a reality of every human being that has ever lived, no matter how big a house they have, no matter how long a life, there is a certain period of time we all get, and then we end up in a little pine box, a little accommodation unit, and there's not much square footage there. We get six feet, less if you're cremated, right? That's where it's headed. 
enough. What's enough? Is he enough? So church, could we be a kind of community that says enough like Zacchaeus? Now here's my dream for our church where we are now in our history. Some people are going to ask me, can we afford to do this merger, take on that new property and, and uh, really put the resources in that will be necessary to allow that to become a thriving community? And I'm gonna tell you very honestly, the short answer is no. No. Just like we could not afford to, to do this building three or four years ago or send missionaries to Thailand, or add staff for ministry's sake here. No, financially, budget-wise, doesn't make sense. But the reason I believe we take those risks is because I think there is so much more we could do. Instead of closing our hands, we open them together. And I dream when, I don't have to worry about budgets, but we worry about how do we plant more churches? And how do we build more programs where people who are addicted are, are given freedom and parents are helped and young people come to see Jesus? Where we would be free to take risks for the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, it's all a risk. But where we invest in other churches, we help the poor. And I, I want to say this, and I do this with a sense of, of joy and, and invitation, but I also know it makes some of us very uncomfortable, but I want to just say it this way. Have you ever decided to tithe? Have you decided that following Jesus means that I need to give and give a, a percentage that, 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 that indicates I'm in love with God, I'm in love with his kingdom, that I've made a commitment to give that first 10% to God. And listen, I am not a legalist when it comes to these things, but if you wanna know where generosity in the scripture begins, it begins at 10%. And the indicator in scripture, and again, you can believe this or not, you can say, Pastor Jeff, you are just, you're just missing it. But if you're not doing that, the scripture says you're missing out on something. And so I ask you, are you trusting God with what he's given you? And maybe today, something in your heart is stirring and saying, you know, God, I got enough. And I'm gonna put a stake in the ground and I'm gonna be more generous. And I'm gonna trust that less is more if you're in it. Lord, Open my hands. Open my heart. Transform me. Let's pray together. Father, I realize uh, it's kind of an uncomfortable message in some ways because, Lord, uh, we've learned to pretend that we never have enough. And yet, through the ministry of your spirit, I suspect that if we would open our eyes, we would see that, Lord, you have given us often more than enough to share, to give. And in doing so, Lord, you've given us a path by which we can know your heart better. And we can open our lives up to, 
to more peace, more joy, more satisfaction in you. Something about Zacchaeus that learned that Jesus, you were enough, that Christ alone is sufficient for my needs. Lord, I pray that even this morning we would be challenged in our following you, that we would discover that you are enough. May we live like that. Teach us to give like that. Teach me to give like that. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.